There are probably a few of you in here that were blessed to just grow up in a home where you were taught about Jesus real early in your life. Very few conflicts, you came to Christ. And, and that's the greatest testimony. That wasn't my testimony, and for many of you out there, that wasn't yours either, was it? Because I struggled. I was, I was looking for something, and I didn't even know what I was looking for. That's called religion. When I'm trying to find something to bring me peace, to bring me meaning in life, I'm, I'm searching, and so I'm looking, and it's called religion, and religion has rules. Christianity has relationships. What I didn't understand was the rules would never achieve what I was looking for. Because the law, which gives us the rules, simply shows me more and more of who I really am. The law convicts me of being a sinner. It doesn't save me. And so I needed that relationship that's only offered through Jesus Christ. Of all the belief systems that are out there, there's only one that has a relationship with the living Savior, and that's Jesus. Now, Jesus walked on this earth, and it was his responsibility, his desire to spread the knowledge of himself and of his Father's kingdom. And so he came as a man of action. He came to achieve things on the earth, to teach other people, and his primary teaching went to his disciples. They followed him everywhere he went for a little over three years, and they learned from him the things that they wanted, he wanted them to know about living a life dedicated to him. The Gospel of Mark talks about Jesus in a very unique way because he takes us through events that were filled with action. And that's why we've chosen the title, Man of Action. That's Jesus. On this particular occasion, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 3, where Jesus intends to accomplish three things. First thing he wants to do is he wants to tell the Pharisees that legalism doesn't work. That rules cannot be a law unto themselves. The second thing he wants to do is he wants to heal a man from a sickness. But the third thing is really the key. He wants the disciples to learn from both of these settings and a few things that happen later what their responsibilities are as followers of Christ. That's the message to you and me. There have been many times in life where we have said, as long as I believe in him, as long as I know that I'm saved, that I've asked Jesus into my heart, that I've committed myself to him, then I'm fine. Yes, you are. But it doesn't mean that you're pleasing God. Because there's something that God requires of us. It's not just obedience to the law. We obey him because we love him. We don't obey him in order to gain anything from him. Now, with all that in mind, we enter in to chapter 3, just the first few verses as Jesus is going to walk into this synagogue. Let's read this. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. 
And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. Let's set the stage. Before Jesus walks in that synagogue with his disciples, he already knows that in the midst of these 50, 75, 100 men in the men's area, there is one man there who has a withered hand. Jesus already knows this. And so he walks into this synagogue with his plan in mind, and he says to the man looking right at him, stand up in front of everyone. And then knowing the hearts of the Pharisees, he says, so which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? Is it lawful to do good or evil, to save a life or to kill? Now the Pharisees wanted to trap him. They wanted him to heal on the Sabbath so they could claim that he was doing work and that that work was not acceptable. Because you see, they had gone beyond the laws of Moses. They had gone beyond the restrictions that God had placed in Scripture on how we should live, what we should do and not do. They had added over 600 more laws because their belief was that you could work your way to righteousness. If you do enough, God will be happy with you. That's a lie. You cannot work your way to receive a free gift. The free gift of salvation from Jesus Christ has no need of works attached to it to gain it. It's a gift. It's offered to everyone here today. So Jesus goes into this synagogue with this understanding, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Did you grow up in any legalistic churches? <laughs> any of you ever been in those kind of settings where <clears throat> they say, well, you have to dress this way or you can't listen to this kind of music or you shouldn't go to that restaurant? I remember when I was addressing a seminary group one time, a young man said to me, well, are you KJV only? That means do I only except the King James Version of the Bible. I said, no, I'm not. I think it's a good translation, but I'm not a KJV only. I said, I'm more inclined to be a, a GHA. He said, I've never heard of that translation. I said, it's Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. <laughs> it seems to be closer to reality. But you see, that's legalism. And here's, here's a thought for you today. If you're writing something, you write this down. You need to learn how to speak death to legalism without damaging obedience to the law. Speak death to legalism without damaging obedience to the law. That's what God wants you to do. The law is kept to honor God, not to gain anything from him. Because you can't do enough to measure up to his love. Once we were in Guatemala on a mission trip, high up on a mountain, I looked down and I saw these grave sites and they were all above ground. And they were all painted these beautiful colors. And the thought went through my mind when Jesus said, the Pharisees are like whitewashed sepulchers. 
Beautiful on the outside, but dead on the inside. Death to legalism. <clears throat> Jesus. He's really ready now to do something unusual. He's got this guy standing. Now, I want to look at this a little more from the perspective of the man with the withered hand. No disrespect to people who have infirmities or physical difficulties, but just to say this, here's a guy that's lived with a withered hand all his life. And here's what Jesus is going to do. In Mark, he looked at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn heart. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians on how they might kill Jesus. Okay, here's this guy. He's in the synagogue. He's sitting among 50, 75, 100 people. He's probably got his hand either in his pocket or in his robe because he's not going to display it. You know why? It's because the Pharisees have said the reason you have that is because you're a sinner. You know, we spit on you. We bypass you. We exclude you from everything. We don't even think you're real. You are a sinner. You shouldn't even be in here. And now Jesus says, stand up. Really? You know, I'm like, is he talking to me? Do I have to stand up in the midst of this? Do I have to admit that I have a problem? Does that sound like you? Do you have some situation in your life? You're holding on to it? Jesus says, stand up. And you're not willing to stand. I know that this guy must have been upset. I remember when Linda and I were out in Las Vegas, we went for seven years in a row and we prayed in 40 casinos and we did it under the radar. You don't want to tell people, hey, we're out here praying that these casinos will close down. <clears throat> Just not a good deal. We were introduced to a gentleman who took us to a church. We go into the church and it's about 100, 150 Filipinos. And we walk in. And we sit down and they say, are there any visitors here today? <laughs> and, you know, we kind of looked at each other like, you know, yeah, it's us. <laughs> I said, please stand. No, I don't want to stand up. No, we did. We stood and then they said, what are you doing here? Well, here it goes. Now I have to expose why we're here and that could bring danger to us. We don't know. So we just said, we're missionaries. After the service, a woman came up to us with tears. She said, God sent you here. We've been waiting for missionaries to come to tell us how we can go back to the Philippines and do ministry. All God's deal. But I didn't want to stand up. <clears throat> if I ask you right now, if you're a visitor with us today, would you like to stand up? You're not going to do that, are you? So now I've made you lie. <laughs> so this man has to wrestle in his brain. He has to say, okay, I know this is Jesus. He's the rabbi. He's done healings. He's done some miraculous things on his way over here. And I guess out of respect to the rabbi, I'll stand. And so he stood. Hand still probably hidden away. He doesn't say so in scripture. I'm just making this up because it works. <laughs> but I would think if you have an infirmity, 
you're going to try everything you can to overcome that or not let others know. But God's calling you to stand up wherever you are for him. So you're called <clears throat> to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That means everywhere you go and every setting you find yourself, he requires you to take that stand. To say that rabbi said stand, so I'm standing. Whatever confrontation may take place, you need to be willing to admit your weakness and your dependence upon him. This past week, Linda and I went to a little restaurant to have some food, and, and the lady who was serving us, such a wonderful lady, and within five minutes, you know, Linda had opened up the conversation, and we now knew the girl was a Christian. And then she said something that really hit me. She said, oh yeah, Jesus is my help. I'm a recovering alcoholic. And she stood there and admitted it. Because that's how they're trained to do that, and those who have addictive behaviors are told, admit that you have it and that you're still recovering. And for years I used to think, well, why would you do that? If you're healed, you don't have to do that. But I turned to her and out of my mouth came this, I am a recovering sinner. Because that's what I am, isn't it? That's what you are. I have a sin nature in me that's still there. And the Holy Spirit has helped me overcome that sin nature on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. But I have to be willing to stand and know that in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. That I'm able to take that stand in any situation and know that he's going to be with me. No matter how embarrassing it may be, Christianity is not something you hide. You don't hide it and say, well, I don't want to offend other people. I don't want to offend anyone, but the gospel offends. It was designed to. So I will tell people about Jesus boldly and in love. So here this man's standing there, and Jesus says, stretch forth your hand. And it's like, I knew I never should have stood. <laughs> Why in the world would I expose this to other people to see? Because then they're going to say, yeah, that's that sinner. That's the sinner. But there was... Something in his heart that was changing. There was something that was going on. He had no way out. He had no solution. There was no way that he could predict what was about to happen. I've been in situations like that, haven't you? Where you really don't know what's going to happen next, but you know that God's called you to that setting, to that situation. What he's waiting for is for you to say, all right, Lord, I'm going to stretch forth toward you. I'm going to yield to you. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to raise my hand and surrender in the same way that you told this man to stretch forth his hand. The Bible says, let holy people raise their hands before the Lord. I want to show that symbol of surrender all the time. So he's calling him and saying, stretch it forth. Can you do that? Not literally, but can you do that in your heart? Can you 
Look into your heart right now and say, I know there's this thing in me that's not right, that's wrong, and I'm willing to take my stand right now. And I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm going to push it toward you. I'm going to stand for you. Here's why you should. Because he stood for you. He stood in your place. He stood in my place. And while standing there, he took the abuse. He took the pain and the suffering. He took the cross. He took suffering in hell. He took the grave. And after all of that, he ascended no longer to stand, but to sit at the right hand of the Father. He did it for you and for me. So the first step of, of standing is acknowledging that and saying, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, take over my life. When we pray in a few minutes, that's what you need to do if you've never done that. Quit looking for religion. You'll never find it. Look for Jesus. He's making himself available. The man is saying, okay, I think by the limited amount of faith that I have right now, that I need to do something not knowing what he's going to do. I need to realize that he may do something that I do not understand. I wonder if that's what he's going to do. But here's what you and I know. Let's say he did have a hand in a pocket. Jesus on the other side of the room with the power of the creator just says, hand, be normal. While it was still in his pocket, without him even knowing it, it changed. So when he comes out, he's concerned that he's going to take this withered hand and show it to the people. And he comes out and he sees that hand. Can't you just feel the excitement, the joy as he raises that hand? I will raise it as high as I can. Look what he did. Look, everybody look. There's a bunch of people there probably that were shouting and yelling because the healing had taken place. And because of that, they believed in Jesus. But not the Pharisees. Well, he shouldn't have done that on the Sabbath. That's against our rules. How often Jesus said to the disciples, beware of the Pharisees. Beware of the way they teach because it won't serve you well. God's calling every one of us in here to this relationship with him out of his love for us. And what he's saying is, it doesn't matter to me what your situation is, what your problem may be, what that insurmountable hill may look like. If you will call on me in your day of trouble, I will fulfill my promises to you. Maybe not the way you're thinking it's going to be taken care of, but I'm going to do it. I trust my God to do that. And this man with a withered hand had just enough faith to trust. And so he thrust it forward for everybody to see. Now, picture the disciples. They're watching this take place, and they're poking one another. Hey, he did it again. He did it again. <laughs> they think that's it. We've learned he, he rebuked the Pharisees, and now he's healed the man. Everything's fine. And Jesus leaves the synagogue with them. They go out to another place where healings take place probably all afternoon into the evening. 
And then we come to the final teaching of Christ from this one day where he's going to address his disciples. Look what he says to them in chapter 3. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach, to have authority to drive out demons. Do you know that that hasn't changed? Every one of you in here is called to do something for Jesus with your life. Not just once a week. Every single day. Here's the principle. Every action is proclamation. Every time you act in life, you should be proclaiming the kingdom of God. Every answer you give, every question you ask, every person you meet, you should be listening to what they have to say and asking God, say, I'm standing for you, Lord. I'm reaching forth to you. Would you give me the answer to my situation, to my problem, but would you also give me the answers to offer to others so that your kingdom will expand and that victory you already have over evil will be won. So he pulls these men together. And it's so interesting to me, over the last few years, as we have prayed about where community church is going and what we're going to be doing, we came up with what we believe to be God saying to us, there are three strategies. Gather together, grow in groups, go live it out. This one day in the life of Jesus, gather together. They all came together. Then he pulls them out, takes them up on a mountain, and they're going to grow in a group. A group of 12 that would become 11, that would become 12 again. And now what does he say to them? This early in their ministry, go live it out. Go talk to people about me. I think about this man with a withered hand, and again, just my imagination, I'm thinking, what do you think he did when he left synagogue that day? You know, I think he's walking around like this, you know. Hey, hey, he healed me, he healed me. This man named Jesus, he healed me. And everybody's going, Who, who's Jesus? Well, come and see. I'll tell you. Remember the woman at the well? She went back and told everybody. Many came and were saved. You can't keep this from happening, so you should want to be a part of it happening. You should want to be out there with this amazing gospel of power and action and be able to tell people, this is what you're supposed to do. But things get in our way. Jesus said, don't let these things get in your way. Live it out in my power. Live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. We prayed, Holy Spirit, you're welcome in this place. And I'm thinking you're welcome in this place, not just in this place. That I want him to be alive in me. I want to be able to hear that still small voice of the Lord when he says, talk to that person. Go do this for me. So that wherever we go, whatever we do, we're doing it to the glory of God. No longer are we withered. We have been healed. And we are being healed. But for a purpose. And the purpose is to serve him no matter the circumstance. 
There is no circumstance that is greater than our God. And God wants to change every circumstance to his own glory. But you're the one that has to give it to him. So the first thing you do is you yield to him your life. If you've never said, Jesus, take over, come into my life. Build a relationship with me, Lord, not just in my mind, but in my heart. And in a minute, I'm going to pray that with you. But for the rest of us, I want to live in expectation that God's going to do something today and I do not understand what it's going to be, but I'm so excited that it's going to happen. Can you live like that? I want to close with a, a story about an author that many of you may know, a woman by the name of Sarah Young who has written many books, Jesus Lives, Jesus Calling, but to know her story changes your understanding of what she's writing and why. It's interesting that she and I share three things in common. We're both from the South. She's from Nashville and I'm from Georgia. We both went to Georgia State University. Yay. We're both saved. Beyond that, she sold millions of copies of books in 26 languages. I'm not there yet. <laughs> but like me, she grew up as a non-Christian. She went through her educational process and she was into philosophy, really looking and trying to understand. And here's what she said. When I was studying, I would get excited about a new philosophy, thinking this one might end my quest. I became disillusioned and concluded there was no absolute truth. Does that sound familiar? This is probably back in the 60s and 70s. Later, I read Francis Schaeffer's Escape from Reason. He was a Christian philosopher who had a ministry in Europe. It was called Labrie. She went to Labrie as an unbeliever, challenged by his book, and she accepted Jesus Christ. After that and some more education, she went to Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri, met her husband, and they went to the mission field to work with the Japanese. They started off in Australia. Not long after they got there, she became violently ill. I don't know her age. I think she's probably close to my age. But for the rest of the time, from then to now, she has been suffering, terrible suffering. And her writing comes from that suffering, her need for Jesus, her willingness to stand and reach out to him. Listen to what she says in her introduction to Jesus Lives. During the writing of this book, my health steadily deteriorated until I was weaker than ever before. As a result, awareness of my neediness reached an all-time high. The process of writing became more than ever an act of faith. I looked to the Lord in his infinite sufficiency, bringing him only my utter insufficiency. Time after time, he stooped down to help me, undeterred by how little I brought to the table. Sometimes he surprised me with the ardor of his love. As I focused on Jesus, his compassionate presence always encouraged me. See, that's the Jesus that we serve. 
He loves you so much. And he wants to be there for you. He is there for you. But he's waiting for you to cry out to him. In a minute, we're going to participate in communion to remember what he did for us. But beyond that, to remember the obligation we have back to him to die to self and to live for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you've called our names. Thank you that you have caused us to stand. Thank you that when we reach out, you are always there. We touch the hem of your garment and we receive what you have for us. Thank you for your immeasurable love, your amazing patience with us. And Lord, we ask today that you would enter into hearts of those who've never acknowledged you. And if that's you, that you would say, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, clean me up, teach me how to stand, and then train me so that I'll know how to reach out to you and tell others. Lord, we take this communion seriously and we know what it means to us. So as we participate, Lord, we will remember that there was a cost for our salvation, not paid by us, but by you. To this end we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll hold the elements till everyone has been served, then we will partake together. <clears throat>